The Hill Talks, a podcast by The Hilltop. Hello, hello. I'm Juan Ben Jr., your host, bringing you three stories you need to know, coming from the nation's oldest black collegiate newspaper. This week, we're talking COVID-19, chat GPT, and the Bison's victorious win against the Maroon Tigers. So without further ado, let's get into it. A new COVID-19 variant called BA-286 is spreading around the country, causing an uptick in positive COVID-19 cases in the District of Columbia, including Howard University's campus. Joy Young and Natalie Betts are two of the Hilltop's campus reporters who wrote about this. I spoke with them about their reporting. Joy, Natalie, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Of course. All right, so what are the stats? How many cases are we actually talking about here, both on and off our campus? So around the week of August 9th to August 26th, there are about 50 cases per week. I'm not sure about per day, but that was kind of the number that was being reported from the DC Health website. As for on campus, we have tried to reach out to a couple people, including um, Dr. Mighty. Senior Vice President for Health Affairs at Howard. Who is tracking the numbers, and we couldn't really get a specific number from him exactly, but he did say that there was an uptick in reported cases. While the university hasn't provided any numbers, it is important to note that the rate at which cases are said to be increasing is considered low. I'm not sure if that is because of the testing that has been cut back on Howard's campus. I remember when I was on campus in the years past, there was weekly testing, and we had the Bison Safe app, and even if you weren't necessarily experiencing symptoms, you were required to go out and get a test. Um, Because that system is no longer in place, I think there are a lot of people who may be feeling asymptomatic, who may have COVID and spreading it, and who are not aware of it. Um, So I think, yeah, that is a big issue at this point in time. I would like to just paint the picture of what COVID looks like right now on Howard's campus. If someone were to walk on the yard today, would they be able to really tell that we have an uptick in COVID-19 cases? I'm actually on the yard right now. And with my observations, I'm not really seeing anyone wearing a mask. We are outside, so that might be playing a role, of course, but there's people congregating with their friends. It doesn't really seem as if you would notice that there's a rise in COVID-19 cases like at this current moment. And I wonder what kind of measures has the university taken this year, at least, in response to this uptick in cases? I kind of want to say that it's more so like a case-by-case. When I spoke with Dr. Ula, um, who is a biology professor in the College of Arts and Sciences, the things that he was implementing in his class included um, ventilation, so opening the doors and the windows in his room. He also included like an air purifier and recommended wearing masks. I know he always has his mask on, but he recommends for the students to put on their masks. So those are the three things that he's putting in place in terms of his classroom. And I know the biology department was who assisted him with that. But I can't say that that's exactly something that Howard as a whole is doing. The only thing that they have at the moment is just 
testing for students and staff and faculty who are symptomatic. We know that the CDC and the FDA announced earlier this week that they have approved Moderna and Pfizer's newest boosters and vaccines against COVID-19. Based off of your reporting, do you think Howard and the administration will embrace this vaccine rollout and help mitigate the cases on campus? I think that they will. When I was talking to Dr. Mighty, he was basically saying that they are planning to have the rollout of vaccines on campus by the end of September. Um, so hopefully they should have like booths and different areas like they did in the years past where people can get vaccinated. So hopefully that will do something to stop the spread. Natalie Betts and Joy Young, thank you so much for your time and uh, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Was ChatGPT mentioned on any of your syllabi this year? Next up, a conversation about AI in the classroom with the Hilltop News and Politics reporter, Tiaja Saunders. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more from the Hillsocks. Tiaja Saunders, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, of course, it's an honor to be here. So you wrote a story about how university leaders are having conversations and creating policies around the use of AI and chat GPT in classrooms around the world. I wonder if you can just explain for the listeners who may have not heard what AI or chat GPT is, what these two things are and how they are showing up in the educational landscape today. Yes, yeah, so OpenAI is basically an artificial intelligence research laboratory that was officially opened in 2015. The initial purpose is to make AI beneficial for all of humanity. So ChatGPT comes in, it stands for Chat Generative Pre-Trained Transformer, but it's basically a large language model based chatbot that was created in November of 2022. And ChatGPT is showing up in the educational landscape essentially as a tool for students to use to complete assignments, also for a tool for professionals and educators as well. It seems like it can be a very useful tool. What are some of the benefits that ChatGPT's proponents in education are saying? It definitely helps with like providing like a personalized learning experience for students. Um, also, you can just like receive general information really quick. As I mentioned before, it can help it can help educators by like creating through creating like a comprehensive learning plan generating questions for games, quizzes, even tests. So like I said, it can help everyone involved in like the educational field. But, you know, obviously not everyone is excited about this emerging technology. Many public officials and leaders in higher education around the world really have concerns. What are some of the issues that educators have with ChatGPT? So obviously the first one is academic integrity and making sure we uphold that in every single university. Professors want to ensure that students are adhering to the academic guidelines without cheating or turning in plagiarized work. Um, also, with spreading misinformation, ChatGPT can and will make up false quotes or a type of false information at the speed of lightning, so it can't comprehend what is accurate and what is not. So it's always good to make sure that if you are using ChatGPT, like fact check that information too, just to make sure. Um, it's always good to be safe than sorry when it comes to that. And that was one of the things that Provost Anthony Wutaw actually brought up in your reporting. One mm -hmm. of the concerns that he had about ChatGPT was that if students maybe rely on ChatGPT to write an essay or whatever, it's going to be using and pulling from wherever around the internet to get this information. 
I know right now, Howard, they're in the process of creating an academic policy regarding ChatGPT. Each professor is going to get to decide what they want to do in their classrooms and reinforce it how they like to. So for some professors that I'm taking this semester, like at least in the school of C, like visual um, journalism, you're allowed to use ChatGPT. Our teachers are actually encouraging us to use it as a tool to help us with our work. So I guess it just depends on the professor and how they feel about its usage in their classrooms. With that, what are some of the policies regarding this technology popping up in universities and school districts around the country and elsewhere? Science Po in France and RV University in Bangalore have banned the uses of ChatGPT entirely. Um, I believe some universities in Australia banned the uses of it as well. So it just depends on like from country to country. Um, I believe the United States, we are still kind of like trying to have that conversation surrounding the uses of it and still trying to find that medium between allowed access to enhance the technology and educational aspect, but also trying to preserve academic integrity and honesty. You talked about how Howard is still kind of developing how they want ChatGPT to be used in their classrooms. Right now, it's kind of looking on like a case-by-case, professor-by-professor basis, but how are we seeing students at Howard engage with ChatGPT? That's a good question. So um, during my report, I spoke to a county major. Kayla Scott. He said she let me know that she uses it just to make sure that some of her calculations are correct. So kind of to just like double check, like she explained to me that she would basically solve the problems herself and then put it in ChatGPT just to make sure that she's right. That's actually a really good point because in many of the conversations surrounding ChatGPT right now, many people are just focused about using it for writing. It can actually be used for your math classes and for your chemistry problems that you have to solve. It, it can be useful on a, a, on a much wider scale. Tia Saunders, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course, thank you for having me. Joining me now is Jaden Armand, a sports reporter for The Hilltop. Jaden, thank you so much for being here. Of course, thank you for having me. So the Howard men's football team scored big in their first home football game of the season with a win against Morehouse last weekend. Jaden, you were there and you wrote in your recap of the game that more than 3,000 students showed up that night. Yep. Can you describe what it was like to be in Greedon Stadium during that game? Oh my God, I mean... When I first got there, I mean, everybody kind of acknowledged the rain. And so I really thought that that was going to impact not only the way they played, but the way the, the fans sort of responded. But everybody was there. They waited. And they were rewarded with a great game of football by Howard. It was like, it was very energetic. Everybody was hyped. I mean, from start to finish, you would think because we had such a big lead going into the second half that people would kind of like doze off or, you know, start to to settle down. But, you know, everybody was energetic throughout the entire game. It was just great to see. You know, we, we haven't had our football in, a, a, you know, about nine months. So, you know, seeing people ready to, to get out there and get active and uh, root for their team, it was uh, really good. You wrote about how the, the Bisons had a pretty big lead over Morehouse's team. And so I was wondering, like, what strategies worked in the Bisons' favor that night and helped them secure the win against the Maroon Tigers? 
Um, it was the strong defense and a really good run game. They uh they had over 350 rushing yards. They had about six touchdowns on the ground, I believe. Six rushing touchdowns and stifled Morehouse's offense, getting interceptions, turnovers, not letting them converting fourth downs. Because they didn't have to play from behind like last week, um, they were able to establish the run early and uh, keep with that. A lot of things worked in their favor, but, you know, some things might not have. And I wonder if you can tell me what kind of things could have gone differently. Um, I would say the only real downside was the special teams, which was a struggle from last week, too. They missed the PAT, and then they... A PAT is a point you kick after you score the touchdown. And then they had one blocked, which was returned by Morehouse for a two-point conversion. So Coach Scott emphasized cleaning that up a little bit. Because like I said, special team was the reason they lost last week. They let up, I think, two punt returns for touchdowns, which was really, I mean, that's what set them back so much. So just getting that cleaned up is definitely going to be something they want to do moving forward, especially next week against Hampton. They can't afford to lose any type of points um, or give up any big type of yardage on uh, punt returns or kick returns. And you mentioned the Hampton game, which has come to be known as the Battle of the Real HU. I wonder, what should we be expecting going into this game? Yeah, I mean, we we haven't fared that well against Hampton recently, but I think we have a lot of momentum for this Morehouse game. So I expect the the run game to come out and do well again. And if the special teams can perform up to standard, I think we do have a shot at winning. And lastly, before you go, I wonder if you can just tell me who were like the standout players of that night. Yeah, so obviously Quentin Williams, the quarterback, he went 17 of 26 for 205 yards and three touchdowns. He also ran, I believe it was four times for 52 yards. He really talked about the rushing offense really helping him in that regard. When the when the running backs can do their job really well, it makes it that much easier on the quarterback. And speaking of the running game, Casey Hawthorne, he's a wide receiver. And then Jared Hunter, the running back, they combined for 174 rushing yards and four touchdowns. So some of those long runs that I was talking about was a direct result of them being able to get down the field very quickly. All right. Well, Jaden Armont, sports reporter from the Hilltop, thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Hilltalks. This show would not be possible if it wasn't for the hard work that our reporters at the Hilltop put in every week. Special thanks to those who shared their stories with me and you today. I hope you all enjoyed our new theme music. It was originally produced by my friend, Terry Thomas. Thank you so much, Terry, for bringing my vision to life. Your sounds help carry each and every story, and for that, I am so grateful. You can find more of his music on SoundCloud. Just look up TJ2. That is the letter T, J, and the number 2. You can also find him on Instagram at tmtjr.12. This episode was written, edited, and produced by me. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode of The Hill Talks. This is where I leave you. Till next time, Bison.